Welcome to this Jeremy Bamber and White House Farm Season 2 podcast. My name is Yvonne Hartley of the Jeremy Bamber Innocence Campaign. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Emma Morris. Hi, Emma. Hi, Yvonne. Lovely to see you again. Thank you. Today, we're going to answer a few more of the myths and the questions that we get regularly asked. So I'm going to hand over to Emma for the first question. Okay, thanks Yvonne. So I think the first question is, um, is one we see quite a lot. Why didn't Jeremy dial 999? You mean after Nate had the telephone call from his dad to alert him to the incident? Correct. So he called the local police station, didn't he, rather than the emergency number? He did. He didn't dial 999. But there is a reason behind that. Um, after receiving the call from Neville, Jeremy was uncertain what to do. He tried to ring his dad back mm. half a dozen times and got the engaged tone. Unsure what to do, he'd rung Julie at her accommodation and shared accommodation in, in London. Yeah. And she basically, when she came to the phone, she, he said there's something wrong at the farm. And she basically told him to go back to bed. Jeremy knew how private his dad was. His dad served on the Whitton bench as a magistrate and Bamba family personal business had always been exactly that. It was kept to the family. It was private. They didn't go broadcasting personal issues. And so Jeremy rang the police station rather than 999 because he didn't want police cars turning up at the scene with the lights and sirens on. He didn't know the urgency of the situation. He knew he'd been asked to go because Sheila had gone crazy and had hold of one of the guns. But Jeremy didn't know if by the time the police would have got there, everybody could have calmed down, been sat around the table having a cup of tea. He had no knowledge of that. And so he, and as well, it wouldn't have made any difference if it had rung 999 to the speed of responding police car. So... Because his dad didn't ask him to call the police, did he? He asked him to go over, presumably, so that he could help him with Sheila. That's so right. Jeremy's in a terrible dilemma. He's obviously worried that there's there's a huge amount going on at the farm. There's something wrong. But he doesn't... Calling the police is probably something quite drastic, isn't it? In his Absolutely. Mind. Because he had no further information about what was going on. And besides that... If he had have dialed 999, the cars would have been dispatched from Whitton Police Station. So in Germany ringing the Chelmsford Police Station, they've contacted Whitton Police Station, the same police station as it would have, would have been called out anyway. So it didn't ultimately make the slightest bit of difference what number he dialed. No, but it does explain the motivation behind why he didn't suddenly urgently call 999 you know I think it would have been a different situation had Neville said you know your sister's gone crazy she's got hold of one of the guns she's firing it we don't know what to do somebody's been injured that's a completely different situation no I think Neville was just saying to him wasn't it you know come to the farm she's got one of the guns she she's um ultimately gone crazy she's she's have has hold of one of the guns he wanted Jeremy to just go and help him calm her down I presume Exactly. When Jeremy exactly. then couldn't get back hold of his dad, what do I do for the best? 
And everybody, you know, will say, I would have handled it like this. I would have done this. Of course, I would have called 99. Well, you, you don't know. He's in that situation. He's Until you're in that situation. Yeah, and which is why I think, so I know I'll call Julie. I'll get advice from Julie, you know, to get her to tell me what to do. That she exactly. So he, he ultimately makes the decision, do you know what, I'm going to have to call the police. Exactly, because he couldn't get back through to his dad and so he had no idea what was going on. He did try and ring him back to say, you know, what's going on? How long has she been like this? When did this start? What is she actually doing? But he couldn't get any more information. The, the line was engaged. So, like, so ultimately, he, he probably felt he had no choice but to call the police but that it wasn't that urgent, but like, you know, to dial now, now, now. But like I said, ultimately that wouldn't have made a difference in the time it took to respond. Yeah, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And people being judgmental and, and, you know, saying, well, he should have done this and he should have done that. You're not in that situation at that time. Jeremy knew his from his dad's voice how you know, how much concern he would have had about how little yeah. concern he would have had or how agitated his dad was. It's only Jeremy can interpret how his father sounded on the phone. Yeah. Even if he sounded frightened, it doesn't mean there was, Sheila was imminently going to start firing this weapon. But by the time they got to the farm, like I say, they could have all been sat around the table, everything resolved. Yeah, exactly. He didn't know, you know, what the ultimate conclusion was going to be at that point when he's deciding what to do for the best. Exactly. Plus, when he's been disturbed from his sleep, I mean, he only went to bed at around 11pm after working for a full day on the farm. So he'd had, what, probably about three hours sleep when he got that telephone call. Yeah. So, you know, you're half asleep. You don't know what's going on. You can't get back in touch with the person. It's like... You just go on automatic power, don't you? Yeah. So the campaign team asserts that Neville also called the police, but he called the local police number as well. He didn't call 999. Why would that be? Neville's call is logged at happening at 3.26, and that probably explains, and that would explain why the telephone was engaged when Jeremy was trying to ring him back and failing to do so, getting the engaged signal. So it's, it's pretty much the same reason. I mean, Neville was a very private person mm. and he probably himself thought that he could resolve this, especially if he thought Jeremy was going over as well. She just asked Jeremy to go over. He probably thought, you know, I can resolve this on my own, but things may have escalated. We don't know. And mm. believe that things escalated after Neville had spoken to Jeremy and that that Neville needed more assistance. Why he didn't ring na 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 is exactly the same reasons as Jeremy. He was extremely private and he, he, he can't predict the future. He couldn't predict what Sheila was going to do. And in neither of the calls does it say that Sheila had actually fired the gun at that point. So no. between him thinking, I'll speak to Jeremy, Jeremy can help me calm her down, something else happened like you say, to escalate it, she thought, actually, I'm going to need the police. I'm going to need some more help to... to yeah, help. absolutely. And there's still no evidence that Sheila had fired the weapon. No. When he mm -hmm. rang the police, he didn't... He, he would have said... He would have, he would have said, you know, my daughter's 
gone berserk. She's got hold of the gun and now she's firing it round the house. He would have said so. Exactly. But I just believe that maybe her psychotic state had enhanced over that period of time. Maybe she was even more agitated because Neville had made that call to Jeremy. We just don't know. But something happened that changed the dynamics, which then caused Neville to ring police. Yeah. And again, he didn't see the necessity to ring now, now, now. I'm sure if Sheila would have been firing the gun at that time, he would have done. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure I've heard people talk, you know, um, it was a different time back then. People had the local police number, often by their phone, didn't they? Well, Neville would have known the local police number because he worked on the Witten bench as a magistrate. And so he would have spoken to the officers at Witten Police Station on a regular basis. And uh, he would have known the majority of uh, people in that area. But people might come back to us and say, well, do you know what? Neville didn't, there's no record of Neville ringing Witten. It was Chelmsford. Well, actually, yes, it was Chelmsford because the calls from Witten were actually diverted to Chelmsford at that time, because it was an unmanned station. The officers there were actually out on foot patrol. Yeah, I think if people ask the, the questions, the answers are often very simple, aren't they? But Absolutely. People often, you know, think, oh, well, this is more sinister. Why would he ring Chelmsford, not Whitham? And it's actually just ask the question and we can give you the answer. Absolutely, and it's documented, so. Yeah. You know, it's documented from two sources, so that's what happened. Perfect. So there's there's a lot of debate, people questioning around who rang who and when these phone calls happened. We know Neville rang the police. We know Jeremy rang the police. What? Why don't we just get the call records from BT? This will clear it all up and we can show exactly who called who when. That would be the easy solution, wouldn't it? And it's not through lack of trying. But the exchange of Goldhanger, where Jeremy lived, and the exchange from White House Farm weren't digitalised at that time. The telephone system was going from being G- GPO ownership, so that's post office, mm. to being British Telecom. And they were only in the process of making the exchanges digital. And we have been to BT and they've checked their records and the exchanges were not on the digital network at that time, even though they were in the process of doing it. So that means there were no atomized call bills available from White House Farm or from Jeremy's Cottage in Goldhanger. So unfortunately, we were unable to do that. But there are records on the police logs of two atomized calls and it says record of call White House Farm and gives the phone number and record of call from um, Bowtree Cottage, which is where Jeremy lives, and gives his phone number. They're all listed on the Homes Index, and that issue is currently with the Criminal Cases Review Commission because we are adamant to telephone calls we made. The call logs support that, and we've found additional evidence since. So you know, even though we can't get those call logs from BT because they just simply don't exist, mm. you know, that would have resolved this nearly 37 years ago. But because of that, 
the lack of um, digitalization at that time, it, it, it's something that can't be helped, but there are other ways and means that we can now absolutely 100% categorically prove to telephone calls are made to the police. Uh, and that, that issue is currently with the CCRC? It is. Perfect, thank you. Okay, so a question we get asked a lot, and I mean daily, is, uh, well, it tends to be a statement, doesn't it? It was impossible for Sheila to overpower Neville and cause his injuries. What? We do get asked that very frequently. People will say, you know, Neville was a, a farmer, he was very strong, six foot four, and Sheila was his frail little I'm thing. Yeah. yeah, she's a female. I mean, totally sexist anyway, mm -hmm. but people jump to the assumption. So I think people are just assuming that Sheila was going in the kitchen with the rifle, beaten Neville, and then shot him. Yeah. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. So Neville could have been quite easily deceased before Sheila even hit, struck him once with the rifle. We just do not know the series of events, but it's not, uh, it doesn't make sense. It's not practicable to say Sheila couldn't have overpowered Neville. Sheila had a gun in her hands when he was walking up the stairs. We know from one of the bullet cases was on the stairs and we know that he has a bullet wound with a downward trajectory, which means he must have been going on the stairs as she was facing down the stairs. The rest of the bullets we can now prove were fired in the kitchen. So Neville has retreated after being shot once into the kitchen. Sheila, we don't know what position he was in or Sheila was in when he received the rest of the gunshot injuries. It could have been, you know, this is a semi-automatic rifle. There wouldn't have been a big time gap between shots. It would have been bang, 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 you know, and talk about the you know the state of the kitchen as well and I know we know crime scene was tampered with by the police however if you're shot and you're trying to escape your assailant you're going to be bashing around into things anyway aren't you you're going, well, to, course, yeah. you're going to be trying and I, I mean I believe Neville was probably trying to get to the back door to the kitchen door to get out of the house Run for his life, isn't you know, it? that's the direction from down the main staircase through the hallway, heading to the kitchen. He could have quite easily locked himself in a bedroom or, you know what I mean, or in the, in the lounge, anywhere. No, but he didn't, he headed towards the door. Yeah. And there's nothing to say at what stage Sheila shot the remaining shots, the remaining seven bullet shots into Neville. There's no... We don't know. Nobody knows. It's just all speculation. I think it's likely. It, it for me, it really feels likely that he received other injuries after he was either deceased or incapacitated. When you, you you know, I think most people know that there were the burn marks on the back of his neck. They're, they're deep burn marks. They they you know they they're sustained. That was a, a sustained burn mark on the back of his neck that. If he was able to have got away from that, he would have flinched away from that, those burn marks. In my view, just my, you know, my lay person's opinion, wouldn't yeah. be so, so severe because what happens if you burn yourself on your iron? 
What's the exactly. Point? It's instinct, isn't it? You pull away. I mean, you can't stop yourself from pulling away unless you've got, you're not going to do that, are you? You're going to, you, your natural reaction it, is to so move away from the source of that pain. And we do actually have brand new evidence about the burn marks. I can't go into detail about that at the minute. It has been sent to the Criminal Cases Review Commission. It is extremely strong. It undermines the police contentions about them. Mm. But aside from that, I can't really say any more at this stage. Um, but, you know, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that Neville was still alive or able to defend himself when he received any, any injuries other than the gunshot wounds. And even receiving the... So when you've been shot... I mean, I've not been shot, but, but I, I imagine that when you've been shot, it's the same instinctive reaction. You're going to put your arms up. You're going to try and defend yourself. Yeah. You know, are you going to try and grab hold of the rifle from Sheila? I don't know, because was he capable of doing that? He had already been shot. And it's a semi-automatic rifle, isn't it? So the, so the shots would have been like... Very quick succession. Yeah. There's nothing to say that this was a sustained attack over a number of minutes, even. And again, it's a point that people have struggled to get past, where the answer is actually quite simple, isn't it? You know, like you say, he was shot on the stairs. We know that. Sheila had a gun. He'd been shot by the time he got to the kitchen. What are you going to do when you're shot? You're going to be trying to escape that situation. Well, that's it. I mean, I'm convinced he was heading, that he came downstairs heading towards the back door. Yeah. Absolutely convinced of it. It's a reasonable thing to, to do when you've been, you know, the, you, somebody's just shot you and they are shooting at you again. You're going to be get yeah, exactly. You're going to be trying to escape the situation. And in terms of further injuries, there's, there's no big fight between him and Sheila, there just doesn't need to be. I mean, the, the disruption in the kitchen could have been caused, you know, it could have been caused even prior. It, it could, Sheila could have been throwing things about, we don't know. So when when Neville had wronged Jeremy, saying your sister's gone crazy and she's got hold of the gun, she could have been swinging around in the kitchen, knocking things over, we just don't know. No, exactly. We don't know what stage anything happened. No, and um, um, all, all that happened is somebody came up with a hypothesis that unfortunately is kind of enshrined itself in, in the history books now as to what happened. Absolutely, and then people take that as factual. Exactly. And as well, people seem to fail to consider that somebody in a psychotic rage isn't somebody who's, who's like got... A delicate flower. Well, yeah. exactly, because they've got... How many times do we hear it said that people in a psychotic rage, their adrenaline is absolutely coursing through their veins and they have this strength and this determination and nothing will stop them. You yeah. know, I've heard stories where it's taking several big, strong men to, to restrain a woman who's in a psychotic rage. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, if people... I wish there was more understanding. I wish there was more on, like, YouTube people could actually watch and say, this is somebody normally, now they're in a psychotic rage. So people could just see the strength and determination that people have. We've had people say to us, haven't we, you, you know, 
people psychiatric nurses people who have family members that suffer from this like they are strong when they go absolutely it doesn't matter that she's a what five foot seven slim female she she was in she was clearly in a psychotic state given look what happened that night absolutely yeah again it's a another area that's really quite easily explained when people people would just sit and really think about it if people would sit and think about it rather than just believing what they see on documentary programs and read in books and jump to conclusions that aren't factual what's given is pure conjecture isn't it it is it's somebody just making something up that sounds like that might have happened and plus it's misunderstanding of the um condition as well yeah because i'm sure if people researched what happens to somebody during a psychotic episode what can they then be capable of what physically happens what chemically happens within your body and your brain with all this adrenaline coursing through you i mean and i've seen as well i know we're going off topic here a little bit but i've seen people say there is no way a mother would do that to her children oh it's just google it just google paranoid schizophrenia. mothers kill their children on a lot they may not now i think it was the gun i think it was because they were shot that people thought women don't shoot the children women poison or women smother the children or in these cases where women drowning the children and a gun is a very masculine weapon to be honest but there's plenty of cases in america particularly where guns are in more common feature in the majority of households than in the united kingdom and this there's an abundance of cases in america where women are shooting their children yeah it's it's horrible to think you know but it it does happen it certainly does you know and more frequently than people realize absolutely it is it is unfortunately very unfortunately naive for people to think that a mother couldn't hurt her children sometimes it's done as like a protection sometimes it's done to save the children from what the mother envisages is is going to be their future yeah so it's not always done in a in a horrible way because it's like the mother doesn't like the children it's it's in a lot lot of instances it's done as a protection means yeah they think they're doing the right thing Absolutely. And I said nobody blames Sheila. Oh, we, no, we don't blame nobody. Blames Sheila. Sheila cannot help being ill. Sheila cannot help the fact that the doctors undermedicated her. She cannot help that her medication was overdue and she'd been given a quarter of the dose that she should have had. It's not Sheila's fault. No. No. Another one we get asked time and time again is um or again another statement sheila couldn't have reached the trigger to shoot herself yes we get asked that one a lot and that was also essex police's stance that they said that sheila had been shot with a silencer on the gun and that had that silencer been on the gun because it had her blood in it mm-hmm. and they said it had paint on it from a fight in the kitchen from the auger, from scratching the auger around. So the police said the silencer was on the gun, which would then make the gun too long for Sheila to have shot herself. 
then put the silencer back in the cupboard, then gone upstairs and shot herself a second time. So I'm sure we could talk about the second shot another time. There is a podcast about that. But she could she could easily reach the trigger because there was no silencer whatsoever on the gun at all throughout any of the incidents. We can prove that in multiple ways. But even if a silencer had been on the gun, we've explored that you know, a number of years ago and... We've had forensic ballistic experts have said all she needed to do was to tilt her head to the side and it would have been possible. She could have used her toe to fire the trigger and everything like that. But I'm saying this was the analysis that was done some years ago. Mm. As it stands now, we know completely differently and we know that no silencer at all was ever a feature of the incident. Yeah. So again, so it makes that irrelevant. It makes Sheila couldn't have reached the trigger. Sheila could reach the trigger. Yeah. So even if, like you say, even if the silencer was on it, she could reach anyway. Now we know the silencer wasn't on it. It's it's a completely moot point. Absolutely. And I think that's where people are coming from because they remember perhaps the trial at the time. The, you know, their memories are going back 30, 37 years. Um, that, oh, I can remember she couldn't have reached the trigger. I remember that. I remember that being a, you know, a big part of the story at the time. And unfortunately, that's what sticks in people's minds. But And I think we have to bring into it the two shots because, you know, people have seen photographs that have been on the internet and of Sheila having two bullet wounds to her neck, which she did have at the time the photographs were taken. Now, we've had ballistic experts look at those wounds as they've looked at the wounds on the other deceased and none of those wounds were made with a silencer attached. Uh, we can we now know Sheila was shot initially when the red team entered the house. She was heard upstairs and we know that she died after the red team and entered the house. That was the time she fired that fatal shot to herself. But we also know a second shot was fired later that morning probably during training exercises. It was certainly between quarter past nine and 10. Like I said, there is a podcast already out there about the second shot and please listen to it because it does answer a lot of your questions. Yeah. I mean, just very briefly, she was seen by, I think, five experts. Was it about five of them with one gunshot wound? Five senior police officers and the doctor. Now, if any, like you say, if anybody has seen the photos of Sheila's neck on the internet, like you say, unfortunately they are out there. They are very two shots, very close together. You can't miss them. You can't miss that there are two holes. Exactly. So. Exactly, but they were not there no. prior oh, to the photographs being taken. They were the 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 second shot was at some stage between quarter past nine and 10 o'clock in the morning. And it's pertinent to note as well that we know, even through the photos, that that gun was taken off of her body, put back on her body more than once. We know that Sheila was moved, her hand was moved, her arm was moved, her wrist was moved, her fingers were moved. If she would have been in full rigor mortis... Which she should have been. Which she she would have been because... According to the police, she was she was dead by 3.26 yeah. at the latest, according to the police. 
You wouldn't have been able to move her fingers. She'd have had no flexibility in her fingers whatsoever. Her wrist moves, it twists, it turns. It's, it's impossible. So, you know, this is another area where not only did the police try and deceive the defence, but for 37 years almost, they've deceived the public. And this will all, the, the point of doing this is to yeah. give, give everybody the facts. And it's to hide such, in, you know, incompetence ultimately. Although, you know, it's a semi-automatic rifle. So all you have to do is activate the trigger. As long as there's a bullet in the in the gun, you just have to activate the trigger. You don't need to pull a... Absolutely. Uh, you know, cock it or anything like that. So if anybody's carelessly taken that gun off her body, very easily that gun could go off. Very easily, particularly if her finger was still on the trigger. Yeah. And that second bullet wound was not there when she was first seen by five separate people. No, it wasn't. And even the coroner was told that she had a gunshot wound, yeah. a gunshot wound. Yeah, that's that's in, that was recorded by the coroner. Cool, thank you. It's another one we get quite a lot is that she couldn't have reloaded that gun. Her fingernails were pristine, and her hands and feet were lovely and clean. So I'll answer the first set part of that first about she couldn't have reloaded the gun. Um, she could reload the gun. She'd lived around guns all her life. She's brought up on the farm. Um, she knew how to load guns, of course she did. She'd been on shoots and David Beauflower had actually admitted that she'd been on a shooting holiday with him when she'd been firing guns. She knew how to do it. It's not rocket science. You know, to load a magazine, it's, it's like a case, if you will, that you just spring loaded, you push the bullets into it. I've never loaded one. I've been shown once and I could do it. Yeah. And it's child's play. It's, it's not a complicated act. Regarding the fingernails being pristine, they weren't pristine at all. There's no photographs available of, of us to look at Sheila's left hand. The fingers that we can see of her right hand have got a lot of growth. They're not immaculately manicured like the police said they were. There's a lot of nail growth. This chipped nail varnish. And plus as well, it's very derogatory to women to say, oh, you're not capable of doing this, that or the other. Women do a lot more complicated tasks in a day, in, in normal everyday housework and, and, and jobs and things like that with immaculate fingernails that they never damage. So to say, you know, again, a sexist comment to say, Sheila couldn't have done it without chipping her, her fingernails is just, we a did. ridiculous one. And we did speak about this at length in a previous podcast, Emma, when we were talking about the Manhouse programme, and that's available on the podcast. Yeah, that's uh, the, the Bamba's Murder at the Farm, isn't it? The one it is. Half production. So if people want to listen to that, we do go into quite a detailed discussion around that as well, which is really interesting. We do. And... The comments that Sheila's hand and feet were immaculately clean. Mm. They really were not. I'm not going to spell it for everybody about her hands because there's a podcast coming up in a few weeks' time regarding her hands and the hand swabs and the evidence that we now have that Sheila did add all of the rifle, she did have blood on her hands and that she did fire the rifle. That's coming up in a few weeks' time. 
we've already did a podcast in February um, about Sheila's feet, which the police said were pristine, they were unmarked, there was no blood on them whatsoever, and that that couldn't have been the case had she been walking around the house during the incident and she was responsible. Well, her feet aren't clean at all. Her feet, we've only got photographs of her left foot. We don't have any images at all of her right foot. And the images that we do have show this clearly this blood on her, the on undersole of her foot, on the heel, the instep, on the ball of her foot, and on her toe. So they're not pristine, they're not clean. And there wasn't blood, it wasn't a, a blood bath as such. There was drips of blood on the bedroom carpet, which Sheila would have had to walk over to get to where she ultimately died. But we don't know the time scale of how long had they been there. We don't know how long June had been shot and moved about in the bedroom before she ultimately died. So we don't know those blood slots on that bedroom floor could have been dried an hour, half an hour. We just don't know. Yeah, and you also know, there is walking around the house, a carpeted house as well. If you've got, if you're treading in blood, some of it's going to come off on the carpet anyway, isn't it? Some of it's going to come off on the carpet, but they would, they didn't find this. They, they only found like blood in certain areas of the carpet, but that's because they only looked in certain areas of the carpet. Yeah. And it's on the kitchen floor where Neville is located. The blood is very confined to one particular area. It doesn't mean Sheila was standing anywhere near that area. She had no. a rifle in her hand. Yeah, she had a gun. It doesn't mean she was stood where that blood is. And there is no blood anywhere else on the kitchen floor except that one area. Mm. So, it, it, you, you know, you can't, you can't say... Well, she would have been, her feet would have been covered in blood because it wouldn't be. No, but ultimately she did have some blood staining on her feet, which was not the position of the police. Exactly. And to the DPP. Exactly. And if people have a listen, we have done a podcast about this, as I say, um, which we released in February this year. And that goes into explicit detail about the, the current evidence regarding the blood on Sheila's feet. Right, yeah. Perfect. Another question uh, that we see, Yvonne, is if there was no silencer on the gun, mm -hmm. how come no one heard gunshots? Especially as we say that Sheila shot herself after the raid team had entered the property. That is actually a good question. Um, but a lot of it boils down to the interpretation as well of the word silencer. Um, a silencer, as everyone will probably think of from movies and drama programs, that it makes the sound of a gun just rather than bang, it goes. Psh. Yeah. So it silences a shot. It was actually a sound moderator. And um, the police called it a silence. It was just easier to refer to it that way. Um, it was actually a sound moderator. It wouldn't have made very much difference to the audible sound of the rifle anyway but because it was just affected the sonic boom. So the sonic boom is the sound as, as you fire a gun, the split second before the, we would hear that sound, uh, an animal, a, rat, a rabbit would hear that sound. So it prevents that sonic boom so that 
you know, doesn't scare away your prey. So, yeah. yeah. But um, the, we've had this tested by um, our ballistics experts, Philip Boyce, other experts, and every single one we've approached. I think there's even videos on YouTube and the sound of a .22 semi-automatic rifle with and without a silencer or sound moderator attached is a short, short hand clap. And that is it. White House Farm was a large property. So it's massive, isn't it? It was huge. And the police who were outside, there were all the windows, apart from the main bedroom windows, were closed. So the main bedroom window was open by about two inches. Mm. And you've, people have got to realise as well, the officers outside the house, these cars, these radios, this chatter, this, the noise of people just moving about, and they were at a considerable distance from the house. Then you got inside the house. We know that Sheila was shot when the red team entered the house. That's when she fired the fatal shot. And one of the police officers actually did hear a noise. It was PC Hall, was in the kitchen, and he said he heard a noise and immediately shouted up the stairs for Sheila Bamba to make her whereabouts known. Now, so not only did he know Sheila was alive at that point, because he referred to Sheila by name, but he also heard a noise that alerted him that there was movement happening upstairs. Now, that could very well have been the suicide shot. Yeah. We don't know. And PC Hall was not specific in what was this noise that you heard. Was it a door? Was it footsteps? Was it movement? Was it a shot? He wasn't specific. All he said was he heard a noise. Now, as its police tried to then later say that this noise was another police officer moving in the office uh, upstairs, but yeah. it wasn't because there was no police officers upstairs at that stage. We've done a very detailed time analysis mm. of who went upstairs at what point. There was nobody except who alive in the house upstairs apart from Sheila at that stage. So going back to the question about the audible sound of the gunshot, Nobody outside would have heard it. And if PC Hall, that was the sound he heard, he hasn't been explicit, but tests that we've had done. The closest from where he, he was at that point to where she would have been. I mean, they, you know, people need to look on the internet, can't they, about how big White House Farm actually was. Yeah, we do actually have uh, plans on the website. Take them half an hour to search that property. I mean, they're, they're, they're rushing around this property trying to find Sheila, trying to assess the situation. It took them half an hour. It to took them. It so took them from, yeah, 7.34 approximately when they smashed the door down and broke into the house. And it was 10 past eight that they recorded that they found a further three bodies upstairs. So, you know, that's that's over half an hour. It was a big house. There were lots of, of hiding places Sheila could have been in. You know, they did a thorough search yeah. and a careful search. Yeah, so, so my point is that, you know, I'm sitting here now and I'm looking at my where my office is and it's only, it's only a few steps. If I heard somebody did a clap noise, I'd hear it. Yeah. Upstairs in my bedroom and somebody did that. And my house isn't big. You know, my house is no White House farm. I wouldn't hear it. I wouldn't no. 
Chuck Clapp. And like you say, you can go on YouTube, you can put in the name of the rifle and you can, you can, people can hear for themselves the noise it makes. Absolutely, you can. Yeah, and I think people have the impression that it makes this big banging sound that echoes around like you see in the movies with these guns and the loud didn't it is literally almost like a cap gun isn't it with the, the, it, the it's not much well it probably is about that same volume level as a cap gun yeah because it's not got you know it's not a, a, a 0.410 shotgun if it had been a shotgun mm. i'm sure people would have heard it but it, you know it wasn't but people don't need to take our word for it. Like I say, you can just just Absolutely. go. Can you remind us the name of the the full name of the rifle, advance? So if people do want to go and search on YouTube to to hear the noise it makes, they they, they can, can't they? Absolutely. So it's a German make and shoots 0.22 semi-automatic rifle, and there's plenty of videos on YouTube. And one the one one of the ones I saw was it actually being used outside in a very big, wide open space, and even then with acoustics around and echoes and that, it still wasn't very loud, but to no. be used in a property with furniture and walls and carpets and all the things that absorb sound. Exactly. It, it, I'm sure Philip Boyce's words were, you just wouldn't have heard it from another part of the house or outside. It would have been impossible. That's what he said, impossible. You yeah. wouldn't have heard it. Well, he's a, a well-respected, Ballistics expert, so well class ballistics expert that's called upon by the Crown many, many times. The police force used Philip Boyce as their ballistics expert because he is such an expert in he knows his field. Yeah. You know, the police wouldn't use him to do their work if he didn't know what he was talking about. No, absolutely. So again, another point that's actually quite easy to answer. Absolutely. All the answers are common sense answers and the, and the answers are out there. And it's like we've, we've always tried to say to people, we do get asked a lot of the same questions repeatedly, but obviously they're coming from different sources. And this is why doing podcasts like this, people can find the answers that they might have to their particular question. But I'm sure that there's a lot of people who might have different questions they might even be afraid to ask us because they don't want to appear to be you know a bit a bit silly or or under researched in the case and things like that please do not be afraid to ask us anything at all you can contact us via the website there's a there's a contact us form please use it please ask us the questions and we are more than happy to give you the answers yeah absolutely so thank you very much, Emma, and I hope we've answered some more of everyone's um, questions today and been able to rectify a few more of the myths in the case. And we look forward to coming back in a few weeks' time with more answers. Absolutely. There are lots more questions that we've, that we've got. So if your questions haven't been answered today, there'll be future podcasts. And like Yvonne says, just send us an email, ask us whatever you want. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Yvonne. See you all soon. Bye. Bye. You can join our monthly Zoom Facebook meetings, which have a first look at case material, presentations, guest speakers, legal updates, and your questions answered at our official Facebook, Jeremy Bamber Justice Group.